Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. With Governor Charlie Baker deciding not to run for a third term, two Republicans are competing for their party's nomination to replace him as governor. Former State Representative Jeff Deal and businessman Chris Doty. Thank you so much, Chris, for being here with me today to talk about your campaign. Well, thank you, Shira, very much. It's nice to meet you and your listeners. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? How did you get into business? Yeah, well, thank you. So grew up in uh, California. I was one of eight children and um, went to undergrad at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I spent two years in Argentina as a missionary for my church. Uh, came back, um, finished up my degree in economics with uh, emphasis in government policy. Uh, came to um, uh, Harvard Business School with my wife, Leslie. We lived uh, in Boston and then Cambridge. We ended up settling in Rentham, where we had six children and uh, we're now grandparents of four. I bought into a small manufacturing company outside of Boston in the early 90s, so just about a dozen or so employees. Eventually grew it to about 700 employees, had six manufacturing facilities around the U.S., and um, one of our largest facilities is right here in Rentham. We have about 300 employees here, and uh, we make auto parts and truck parts and tractor parts and appliance parts. Most people in Massachusetts have one of our parts somewhere in their lives. Given uh, all your work in manufacturing, is there anything that you've learned from your time there that you can apply to how we rejuvenate the manufacturing industry here in Massachusetts? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's been... Uh, Perhaps one of the reasons I got into the race is just I think there's such an opportunity for us to uh, have our economy thrive. I'll share with you just one story. We have a factory. We had a factory, which we've recently sold, or a, or a facility down in, in Tennessee. And for those that have been to Tennessee know that that state is just booming. Uh, it has a strong economy. Their electric rates are uh, near the average. And it's a very pro-business, kind of pro-economy uh, feels very prosperous down there. And uh, they were uh, very pro-friendly to our business. And uh, I'd like to bring some of that feeling of prosperity and affordability to our state. Have you ever been involved in politics before? Uh, you know, just as a participant, not as an elected official. This will be my first uh, elected uh, campaign. So why run for governor? That seems like a pretty big first step. Yeah. I just think the state needs me. I, you know, Leslie and I were at a point in our lives where we were, um, our kids had left the house and we were looking for a give back to the state where we think our skills and our motivation, our capacities could be of best use. And uh, when Governor Baker said he wasn't going to get back into the race and there was really no one from the business community that had the kind of experience that he or myself or like a Glenn Young can have, I just saw a need in our state. And, um, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't the first, so I made many phone calls to see if there were others that, um, you know, were from the business community that could come in with a fiscally conservative message that was were, was electable and uh, didn't find someone. So eventually uh, made the big decision to step out and uh, put my skills and my capacities and my motivations to the test with the voters. But given that you haven't campaigned before or held any kind of political office, what makes you think that you have the skills necessary both to campaign, to fundraise, and also to manage a massive state government, work with the legislature, and 
basically do all those political things that are part of being being governor and being elected governor. You know, I wrote a job description for a governor, like I would for my business. I wrote out, what is the job description of a governor? And every single thing on it, I do every day. I've been doing it for 30 years, hiring people, uh, getting rid of people that are underperforming, building teams, cross-functional teams, having high expectations, uh, budgeting, finance, bonds. Um, there's not one part of the governor's life that I'm not familiar with that I feel uncomfortable doing. In fact, I feel like I was sort of designed for this job. Um, it just very much fits my skill set. I've been reading the financial statements of the government, and they're different than business, and they're complicated. But, uh, you know, I, I've taken a, a great deal of accounting, a great deal of economics and statistics, and I get it. Like, I sort of feel like I almost feel like a governor already. I feel like I could sit in that seat and say, okay, here's where the opportunities are for us. Here's how we can bring our taxes down. Here's the regulation that I consider to be the worst that's making our state so unaffordable for our citizens and our businesses. And uh, I just feel really comfortable. So um, I hope I can convince the voters that, uh, you know, I can, uh, I can do as well as I feel like I can. What is that worst regulation that you've identified? You know, there's so many. I mean, there's lots of regulation. We've over the course of time, we haven't gotten rid of bad regulation. We just keep adding more and more regulation on. Um, and it's complicated. See, in the business world, we my favorite word in the business world is simplify, because when you simplify things, cost goes down. And we uh, we need a lot more of that in government. We need to go through and just simplify some of the regulations. If I could give your listeners just one example. So in building more affordable housing, we have the, uh, the probably the third highest housing market in the U.S., projected to be maybe one of the most expensive housing markets in the U.S. And I was talking to a developer uh, that builds a more affordable housing, and he was saying that it's, the construction part took about 18 to 24 months, but they, they project, predict about four to five years worth of government regulations. He said that they have to negotiate with five agencies and three of the agencies have to negotiate between each other um, to get a project done. And uh, he said it takes about four years. And he says, as a result of that, a lot of the investment dollars that should come to Massachusetts end up going to other states where it's easier to build housing. And so you've described yourself as a moderate Republican. What does that mean to you? You know, I think there's a couple different meanings to that word. I've really been thinking about that word. I, I think one definition of the word moderate is they can listen. Um, and that's me. I, I take a notepad. I listen. I ask a lot of questions. I don't walk into a setting thinking I have all the answers. And that's a mistake a lot of politicians make. They think they have every answer. And I think I walk in with questions and willing to listen to everyone across both sides of the aisle and wherever there's a good idea. I think that's one. Now, sometimes people think the word moderate means uh, spineless. <laughs> And that's not me. I mean, you don't get to my place in life uh, being uh, without without opinions and without values and without clear direction and high expectations. And so, you know, I, I come into the job of a governor with high expectations of the employees, high expectations of myself and everyone around me, um, but also uh, willing to listen and willing to ask the right questions. And uh, people have said that about me really for my whole career is that they're surprised at how many questions I ask and how thoughtful the questions are and how probing the questions are to get to the right answer. And I'll bring that skill to the state house. Do you see yourself as a politician in the style of Governor Baker? 
You know, Governor Baker's a, a finance man, as I am too. I think he's he's comfortable in an executive role, and it is the executive branch. So I think we're looking for someone that has kind of those executive skills. And uh, there's things that, about Governor Baker that I really admire. You know, he he's built a team that's really uh, engaged and united, and that's really important for me also here at, here in my business. A lot of the people that work for me have been here for 20, you know, 25 years. That long-term engagement and skill set, I really value. I think Governor Baker's a hard worker. You know, I don't see him on the golf courses and out sailing. And that's like me. I, I enjoy work. I like hard work. Another thing about Governor Baker is I can tell that he enjoys complex business problems, as do I. You know, Things like the MBTA, other people would run away from the problems, the financial problems in the MBTA, but not me. I really look forward to, to, to diving in deep and understanding that. How to get more money to the schools and the towns is one that's really interesting to me right now is what can we do to get more money to our police and to our education system um, out in the communities? Most citizens uh, um, most citizens uh, part participate in their, their lives by um, what's within their own communities. And I think getting more money to the communities is an important part of, or an important focus for me as governor. So let's talk about that. How do you get more money to communities, especially given that I know, for example, you've come out front calling for spending the gas tax. Where, where do you get this additional revenue? Yeah. Okay. Sure, that's a good question. That's a perfect question for a man like me that makes auto parts in uh, Massachusetts is uh, my whole life has been finding efficiencies and leaning things out and simplifying processes. Uh, it's really my skill set. Uh, you would hire someone like me if you wanted it to run better and more efficiently and to pull costs out. Um, I'm just good at that. That's what I, that's sort of my expertise. I've spoken on that topic. Um, and, you know, it's not that hard. It's just you have to have high goals and high expectations. So let me give you one, Shira, as an example. As governor, I would come in and say to all the state employees, here's our objective. We're going to improve our services and we're going to lower our cost by 3% a year. Now, that's a requirement that I've lived with for three decades now in the auto industry is that we have to reduce our costs 3% a year. And at first people say, that's oh, impossible. You can't pull costs out. Costs always go up. But I've been doing that for so many decades. I don't accept that anymore. I really do believe in my heart and in my intellect and in my skill set that we can begin reducing our costs by at least 3% every year. With that, we just begin paying down debt. We have high debt in our state. We, we begin paying down debt. We begin transferring money to reduce taxes to the citizens. And we make uh, infrastructure improvements, roads, bridges, sidewalks, et cetera. Um, again, this is so common in the business world, maybe unusual for career politicians, but in the business world, this is what we all do is we have limited resources and we have to do a lot with it. And so it's very much to my skill set that I can take a the $50 billion budget that we have and maximize what we can do with that 50 billion. So to be clear, you're not planning on raising any additional revenue, additional taxes? I, no, I don't. I think that's like walking into a job saying, I'm going to raise prices. I, I think that you never go in starting saying, I'm going to be more expensive. Right now, our state is, uh, we're not the worst in the country on tax burdens. We are one of the worst on affordability. So I might start as governor, let's work on affordability at first, but at the same time, let's keep an eye on, you know, our tax burdens on our citizens. 
Um, but I think the real pressure point in the Commonwealth right now is that we have, you know, the third highest electric rates in the U.S. We have the third highest grocery costs. Our uh, medical costs are number one most expensive. Just about every category, our citizens are are being crushed by the high cost of living here, and we're losing our families. We're losing our young, our kids, and we're losing our our working families are going to less expensive states in the country. But when you're talking about cutting 3% out of government costs, are you cutting services at the same time? No, no, it's more, you know, um, it's more finding efficiencies and simplifying the ways things are done. Um, You know, for example, that example I gave where it took, you know, three or four years just to have agencies negotiate with each other to uh, make more affordable housing. It's really just simplifying and leaning things out is where you pick up a lot of your efficiencies. You know, the old saying time is money. It's really true. It's true in business and it's true in government. Uh, You have to take these long stretches of time and reduce them. And with that comes the reduction in costs and improvements in efficiencies. So some of your fiscal conservatism sounds similar to what you hear from Jeff Deal. Are there, can you give me a couple of specific policies on which you're different from Jeff Deal? Why should voters choose you instead? Well, um, you know, Jeff, Jeff hasn't put out a lot of policies, so I don't, I don't really know exactly how to answer that question. I'm not sure exactly what his policies are. I mean, I, Jeff has uh, spent his life in politics, and I've spent my life in business, so we, we'll look at things different. Uh, I'll look at it more from a finance and a business and, you know, efficiencies. You know, I come from manufacturing, where we're very accustomed to uh, having uh, limited resources and how to pull the resources out. Um, I also, you know, I have 300 employees right here in, uh, in Massachusetts and I hear from them every day, just how expensive it is to live here. So I'll, I'll come with a, with a focus and a direction and, um, you know, an intent. Um, I, I also run a large uh, enterprise. So I'm used to complexity of enterprises and complex business problems, you know, with a, with a business training and a business background, I'll, I'll, I'll run into the problems that, the next governor, we really need a really good governor this next round because there could be a recession. The federal government could cut back the amount of funding they're providing. Um, and if interest rates go up with the amount of debt we have on our books, there's some real headwinds coming. And so we really don't need a social activist, in my opinion, for governor. We just need someone that's really capable to run a really good state government that people are proud of and that works well and doesn't burden them with greater taxes. So one of the things you mentioned was you look forward to delving into transportation. So let's talk a little bit about state transportation, the T. There's a lot of talk now about moving towards lower cost fares. Is that something you'd be supportive of? Um, and on the other side, should we be looking at expanding public transit, things like Springfield to Boston Rail? What direction would you go in on transportation? Well, right now, because of COVID, ridership is way down, as you can imagine. A lot of people are working from home. You know, I was just down collecting signatures this morning in Mansfield, and they were saying that Mondays and Fridays, very few people are on the trains. Uh, and you can imagine the toll that's taking on the on the finances of the MBTA with ridership being down so much and expenses actually being higher. So right now we're we're doing okay because of the federal government, but you can imagine a day probably for the next governor where the federal government will stop subsidizing our transportation. So there's there's a real serious problem there that we'll have to get our arms around. Um, 
And so, and I feel really comfortable in that world of saying, okay, we don't, we, we don't want to do what we did before, which is a major taxpayer bailout. So let's get our, get our arms around it right now. I, I think lowering fares could make it worse, you know, and I don't think the other candidates have read the financial statements um, as I have. You, you, so you really don't, that, that's probably not realistic to lower fares right now, but I think there are opportunities to improve for sure. And um, the MBTA is certainly one area that I would focus on, you know, to make, make sure it's running okay and is affordable for all the taxpayers. Would you consider opportunities for expansion? Again, Springfield to Boston Rail is something that there's been a lot of discussion about, but hasn't really moved forward. Okay, so again, this is really much speaks to my skill set, which is the, what we're talking about is capital improvements, right? So businesses have this all the time as capital investments. First of all, you have to invest your capital where you're at highest risk. I worry about the seawalls. I worry about risks that are, you know, old trains, old tracks, things that could be very risky for our state. I would deal with those areas that are of greatest risk first for our citizens. Can you imagine being governor and there's a major train problem? You know, something falls off or there's a disaster. Uh, that can't happen. Uh, I wouldn't let that happen. On day one, I'd say, look, before we dive into expansions and all these things that's, that sound wonderful, which I'd love to do too, let's make sure that we've got the right seawalls. Let's make sure that our trains, we got the right trains, the tracks are being maintained. I've seen it so often in business where people get excited about expansion and they overlook the immediate needs that are creating risk and they're not talking about it. So um, I think people look at a governor and they say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go about my life. You stay up late at night, making sure that I'm not at risk, um, that my community is not at risk. And so I think that's part of the expectations people would have of me as governor is making sure that, I've, that I know what I'm doing, that I can make sure that no, no one's risk of living here is going up because I'm trying to get press releases and look good with, you know, new expansion of things. So like, for example, a bridge falling, I, I'd much rather fix a bridge that could fall than talk about greater expansion somewhere else. So I would start with those projects first. Do you see climate change as a risk? And if so, what should Massachusetts be doing to address it? Yeah, I mean, it's the one of the great challenges of this generation for all of us. Um, I think in our state, we have to do two things. One is we have to do our part for climate change. But number two is we've got to get our electric rates down to um, below the top quartile. They, they say we might have the highest electric costs in the country in the next couple of years if we keep cutting off supply. In fact, I'm one of the largest buyers of electricity in this part of Massachusetts. And uh, we heard through ISO that we might have rolling, we might have had rolling blackouts last summer if the heat wave had continued one more week. Um, I would be embarrassed as governor. I, I, I'm going to work right away on this. Let's, let's get enough supply here to Massachusetts to get our electric rates down to about, you know, the average. My stated goal is this, that within my first term, I would like our electric rates to be under the top 10. And then by the end of eight years, I'd like to get us close to the average for our electric rates. That'll take a, a significant investment and effort to um, increase our supply of electricity. Increase our supply from what sources? You know, wherever we can. You know, the I like the uh, I really like the hydro because it's clean. Um, I'd like to go back to the our neighbor states and say, hey, is what else could we do to bring in that hydroelectricity? Because that makes a lot of sense to me. 
I think the windmills are good, although it's long-term and uh, they don't generate a huge amount of supply for us. It's under 3%. So, you know, we've got to just find solutions to bring in a lot more supply. The real, the real risk for our citizens is actually jobs and job creators. Just last week, I got a phone call from North Carolina inviting me down to North Carolina to move my business. And guess what? The first thing they said to me was, our electric costs are half of yours. Um, I think if the citizens knew how risky our state is right now and how vulnerable we are for the next recession, they would be a bit terrified that businesses like mine and so many others are actually being courted by other states to move to take advantage of lower electricity costs. And um, so it sounds like you'd be open to more natural gas, more potentially more oil use. Yeah, I mean, would it have to be clean? Uh, you know, make sure we don't create a problem with the climate. It has to be clean, but we have to use new, newer technologies. We don't want the old technologies that created problems. Um, but yeah, I think we'd have to look at a lot of things to get our supply up. Worst thing for us as a state is to lose all of our of our job creators as they go to North Carolina or Tennessee. So. Another thing that businesses have often says is there's not enough housing for workers, particularly in dense areas of the state, places like the Boston area, certainly on the Cape. How do you convince communities who might be reluctant to build more housing or how do we address our housing supply problem? You know, this this is a lot of stakeholders, to your point, is I would call in the towns and the, the mayors or the town administrators and, and give them a goal and say, hey, here's your goal. And we want to know what your plan is to achieve this goal. And um, it has to be top down. It requires strong leadership. It won't be easy because there's a lot of zoning things we have to address. And But I would just start the way I have through my whole life is I'd say, here's our problem and here's our goal. And I'd like to hear everybody's plans on how we're going to achieve the goal. And I know um, you know, you take uh, this, the idea of the towns along the commuter rail as being the, a greater focus. That makes sense to me. It's logical. And I think we'd say to the towns, listen, here's your goal. Let us know how you're going to achieve this goal. And we want to hear it. And I think uh, the Baker administration has done a good job of finding incentives and trying to be creative on, in creating, uh, well, incentives for people to build the additional housing that's needed. And I know that you've mentioned that you're not running on social issues, um, but obviously social issues are certainly important to some people in this state. Uh, you've described yourself as opposed to abortion with exceptions for rape and incest. Would you seek to change Massachusetts's current law that allows abortion and as of 2020 allows it after 24 weeks in certain cases, like involving fatal birth defects? No, I have no interest, uh, nor could I uh, change that. You know, we're coming out of COVID. I think we all want a governor that's got some sunshine. It's got some hope and optimism and doesn't want to flame the, the, the fires of contention and decisive divisiveness. Um, I do not want to be a governor that divides the people further. I want to be a governor that unites and talks about things that we can all agree on. So things that are social issues uh, are very divisive and we're all exhausted um, of of all the things we've gone through recently that have divided us as a state. And here's the thing is, it's very competitive. We're, we are competing against Virginia, Tennessee, and we're also competing against China and Taiwan. And we need to keep our eye on the ball that we have to be competitive. Our kids need to be competitive, our education does. And let's focus on those things we all agree on. So I hope as a governor that people get a sense uh, 
a little bit of humor, a little bit of optimism, a little bit of hope, a little bit of uh, uniting us. And let's compete as a state. Let's say we can be competitive with the other states in our country and with our foreign competitors. Our children should be well-educated. Uh, it's competitive out there. So I think there's a lot of things that unite us. I, I would say there's much more that unites us than divides us. And the last thing I would want to do as governor is pick out a few things that are really divisive and put those as, as on my agenda. So before you get to that point, you've got to get through the primary. And the Republican Party in Massachusetts seems very split right now. You know, you have a lot of really pro-Trump Republicans like Jeff Deal. You have non-Trump Republicans like yourself. I know you've actually voted for Hillary Clinton. How does the Republican Party pick a direction? And why do you think the Republican Party is going to pick the more moderate direction that you represent? You know, honestly, I, I think the party was just waiting for me. Uh, I've just been, I feel like we've, with uh, Kate Campanelli, my running mate, and me, we've just felt so embraced. Um, I think there was a ready for a new tone, uh, a new direction, a new candidate. Um, so I think the party will begin to unite. I, I already feel the very beginnings of a party coming around and uniting. And um, so I think it just takes time to fix these problems. It, it, we didn't get into them overnight and we won't get out of them quickly. But I think, I think the conservative message really resonates with a lot of people. I, I don't know if you saw that poll that the Democrats did that said that, you know, 60% of their own party uh, appreciated a fiscally conservative Republican governor. And, um, and that makes sense to me because the balance, having a check and a balance in the state house is so critical. And I think we all recognize that, you know, in grade school, we were all taught about checks and balances and how important it is in government. It's part of our constitution. And right now we're at risk of having one single party rule in every single office in the state house. Uh, that's scary. And that should be scary for all of us. Scary for me. It should be scary that you know, for all of us, that 40% of our citizens are fiscally conservative people and their voice is going to be dismissed. And so I feel like it's not just Republicans, but I think the independents and the Democrats and so many other are embracing our candidacy and saying, you know, thank you for running. I hear this, I must, I must hear this a hundred times a day. Thank you for running. Um, from what, does all mean, what does it mean to pick a running mate in this state? Has Representative Campanelli said she won't be on the ticket with Jeff Deal if he wins the primary? You know, we, you know, the, um, well, here, here's what it means to have a running mate as a Republican is that we can, um, it's harder to run in our state as a Republican, which is obvious, but now there's two candidates working together. So Kate and I talk every morning about 830 and we divide up our work. You know, you go to this part, I'll go here. We'll, we'll, we coordinate our schedule. So you kind of get two candidates in one, which is nice because, um, you know, we just don't have the fundraising apparatus that uh, the other party does. And so we have two parties and Kate and I learn, are learning to work together. We're learning to build teams together, to communicate together. So on day one, as governor and lieutenant governor, we already have a year worth of working together. We almost we will get to a point where we almost know each other's thoughts and how to work together. And uh, that's really beneficial for the state because the term is four years. And if if it takes a year for the governor and lieutenant governor to, to kind of learn to work together, we've already we're already a year into it. So I think there's a real advantage of that. And one more question before I think we're out of time. You're obviously asking people to come out and vote in a Republican primary. Uh, in both 2014, 2018, Governor Baker was a strong incumbent governor, but he was facing a Republican primary challenge. How come you didn't always vote in those Republican? How come you didn't vote in those Republican primaries? You mean in my past voting record? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. 
You know, I was a father of six and uh, running a business, traveling all over the state. Sometimes I was just out of town. Um, and um, so, the, you know, no, for that reason, I certainly I always had my my heart and my mind on a good, well-run state government. I, I was here during uh, the short period where we didn't have a balance in the state house, and I really felt it. Uh, our business really felt it. And so I, I, it's always been in my heart to do my very best to make sure our state is balanced. And you can learn a lot more on commonwealthmagazine.org. Chris Doty, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.